You're listening to Artitude, a podcast with artists created and produced by Detlef Schlick, a visual artist and ritual designer, living and loving in West Cork, and best known for his essay about the cause and effect of shamanism, art and digital culture. Working in the field of performance, photography, painting, sound, installations, and film he will dive and discover with us and a weekly creative guest into the unknown and exciting deep ocean of the creative mind. This is Detlef Schlich and today we dive into the unexpected and uh, uh, mysterious deep ocean of the creative mind uh, on Cape clear together with at Harper. So if you wonder what's, what is the sound in the background, the wind, we're sitting outside, you can see that actually in YouTube in, uh, on a later stage. We're sitting outside and uh, we had rain already before. Currently it looks very, 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 very nice, but the wind is still coming and going. So yeah, so don't wonder if you can't understand it. Everything is live. Hi, Ed. Hi. It's great to have you here in my show, I must say. It's a really, I really, 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 really enjoy my talk. I did enjoy the talk already in my first two parts. Uh where we where we discussed where we talked about the arrival of at the first arrival in nineteen hundred seventy three and, and then then um we we didn't we didn't um finish that actually. Uh, we just came to this point. I mean, if you can go back to the first two points, the two parts, or uh, where uh, we speak about Ed's, Ed's life in 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 England and uh, what he did, what uh, uh, what he uh, he was teaching uh, and, uh, and at the university or was it a university? It's a college of further education, which is kind of below university level, but they're, they're curious creatures. College of further education, because yeah. it, it, it depends the one you're teaching and what it does. I mean, we yeah. we went from very low level courses up to degree level, but I I was teaching mostly in the middle. I t I taught adult classes. Well, they're they're all almost adult classes. Yeah. Um, it was all post sixteen and. I taught the oldest person I ever taught was seventy eight. That was in an evening class. Yeah. So so we 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 spoke about that. Uh, we spoke about as well uh, as handicap because because he is blind, and uh, um, we didn't we didn't came actually to the point uh, uh, about his decision making. What 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 it was that that he came over here. So he came over here seventy three the first time. So so you 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 felt in love with with this island. Yes. Did you came yeah. back every year again? Um, yes, we came, I mean, both myself and my wife were teaching, so we had Easter holidays as well, and we came some Easters as well as the summers. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I mean, I've been coming to Ireland since the 1960s because of music, and uh, but mostly traveling between sort of Donegal and Clare. I'd never come into County Cork, oddly enough. I made one wild attempt to come into County Cork from... Um, Ennis Tymon, which is in, in Clare, yeah. um, having um, actually, for the first time ever, enjoyed some Pachin. And I actually, this is in the days before the roads were improved. Yeah. I, I started at four o'clock in the afternoon with the absolute fond belief that I could hitch to Cork. And I got <laughs> as far as the Cork side of Limerick. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> which was an interesting lesson in itself. Yeah. But uh, 
Yeah, and so anyway, I wanted to come to County Cork, yeah. and and so that's that's how we came to Cape Clear. We we were in County Cork, yeah. and by sheer good luck, we came across a leaflet talking about uh, going to Cape Clear on the ferry. So we did, and as I say, we we were told there was nothing here, and discovered a community of about 150 people with three pubs, two shops, and you know quite a thriving community yeah. at the time. And yeah. I mean now. It, it's it's very interesting. It's changed massively, really, over the years, um, physically in some ways, and you know, like like the rest of society has. But you yeah. know, we, we're um... it takes over as well. No, I mean, I mean, it's, it is uh, the interesting thing. What I, what I realize is even in Gulen, all these habits, say these bad habits from 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 city people who are under stress, they come over to the islands too, somehow, or not, to a certain extent. <sighs> It depends what you mean by bad habits. I mean, far farming, when I came here, there were 30 farmers with herd numbers. All right. Um, that's to say, officially recognized farmers, okay? And there were other people who would be growing possibly stuff for their own benefit, but weren't registered. But essentially, pretty well every, there were, I think, around 45 households and there were 30 farmers. So that gives you an idea what the community was like. And yeah. there were a number of boats fishing at the time. Yeah. Now, the last commercial fisherman person who was making a living living from a boat that was based in cape stopped a few years back now yeah. um, like what you hear so far make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now this podcast is made possible by listeners like you thank you for your support now back to the show but there's there's still somebody who who lobsters and things from the island but he's he's primarily a farmer i suppose um but the the you know, it it's changed massively. I mean, the the sea and the land were the basis for this culture, really. Absolutely, and yeah. The, also, the Irish language was a big thing, and I won't get into the Irish language in a big way. Can, can you speak Irish? Very little. Um, I did. I could have done about twenty uh, twenty five years ago. I I still can to an extent. I understand a lot more than I can speak because I actually did a conversational Irish course um, yeah. that one of the people who was actually married onto the island. Yeah. Sadly, mostly isn't here nowadays. Um, actually did a um, conversational Irish course four hours a week from October to March. And it happened to be in the house next door to me here. So I could actually go. I could, you know what I mean? It was in the evening. I could just finish doing my goats, go next door and do it for four hours a week. All right. And at that point, you know, I could have held a slow conversation or reasonably, you know, a worthwhile conversation yeah. about, you know, the boats, the sea, the animals, that kind of thing. But yeah. I, I would never have been able to discuss politics or philosophy. <laughs> All right. But uh, um, then who can? Uh, but, you know, very, very few people in, in these days in Irish could do that. Um, probably. I mean... <laughs> but the, the the truth of the matter is, yeah. um, and I, I don't want to get too much into the, the politics of Irish. I could if you want to do a separate podcast at some point. <laughs> but, I mean, well, one of the problems, from my point of view, yeah. about, yeah. about the Irish languages yeah. is that way back at the beginning of... The, the, the foundation of the state, yeah. this idea arose that the Gaeltacht areas were where the Irish language was, which yeah. was a matter of fact. In yeah. fact, that's where it was the very strongest. And that somehow these Indian reservations should be preserved. And so economic development was tied to, um, economic and social development was tied to the, the, the language in those areas. Mm-hmm. And it's a serious mistake because if you just look at the statistics, the areas which have done best economically are the yeah. on the whole the areas which have lost the language. And the government is so stubborn in its ways yeah. um, 
that it, it, it is not changing with the facts. I mean, where the Irish language is growing now is around Gale schools, and that's mostly in the cities and in the in the, the country towns and so on. Yeah. And the people who are probably speaking the most Irish are now around those schools and around their enthusiasts who mm. want to speak Irish. Mm. And there is an awful tendency in the Gaeltacht areas. Um, I mean, like we, we, we are technically speaking part of the same Gaeltacht as Balangiri. Now, most listeners wouldn't know where, where either we are or Balangiri is. Yeah, yeah. But we're 10 miles off the coast and Bal- Balangiri, roughly speaking, I'm no great geographer, is about 40 miles inland. Yeah. The only thing we have in common is that we speak Irish. Um, this is a very different community to Balangiri. And, you know, some cultural aspects would be the same other than the language. But in Balangiri, they do speak a lot of Irish. Down here, we don't. Not really. Right, right. Um, And yet, statistically, because there is a government interest, you know, there's a pyramid of Irish language civil servants, okay, from the local level to the minister. Yeah. And in in odd cases recently, we've had ministers that couldn't speak Irish who were ministers for the Gaeltacht. But the language, if the language is going to survive as a real language, it's going to survive not because somebody is paying people effectively to speak it. And if if my feeling is if we are disadvantaged on this island because we are geographically peripheral, that's why, like all the other islands in Europe, that's why we're disadvantaged. And that's what the economic support and encouragement and so on should be tied to support for the language should be on a different basis because mm-hmm. and and it should it should run across the cities and the government i mean it's, you can get forms in the irish language from yeah. virtually any government yeah. department yeah. that's grand yeah. you try and talk to them in irish yeah. you know go and ask a serious question in irish from any, any, any government department and, you know, or anywhere and that is the difference in attitude is it wasn't good enough to say look lads with the Indians are speaking Irish in the Gaeltacht areas, we'll support them, they'll boom, and so Irish somehow will spread. Right. You know, um, we, we have, by the way, we have a, a, an Irish college here. We, we used to have two, but one closed. Oh, here on the island? Yes, we used to have two. All so, right. I mean, it was, a, it was an important part of the economy for those who were involved with the, the accommodation for the children, and the shop did quite well out of it and that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But realistically, and I think it was, it was great for the island because a lot of people came here Mm. And had an experience of the island mm. as much as the language, but the, the the state of teaching of Irish in a lot of Irish schools. Um, now I'm not necessarily talking about Cape because on Cape, you know, there's the Irish language would be a bit more realistic to to students because um, you know the, there are more people around who speak it too. But um, but certainly in the city, I mean, like one of the really interesting things, right, is is that and I, stop me if I get into my my. Um, feelings about the Catholic Church much. Yeah. Because I, I think the Catholic Church has done tremendous damage unintentionally to Ireland and the Irish culture. I mean and the Irish language. Because for instance, it's only recently they've published the unabridged version of um Peg Sayer's book about the Blaskets. And the abridged version is missing huge chunks that the Catholic Church didn't yeah. like. And, you know, I, I've talked to, I've, you know, I, I haven't studied Irish, but I've talked to plenty of people who have, who hate Peg Say's book because it was boring. If it hadn't been abridged, it mm. wouldn't have been boring. Mm. They would have learned about the, 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 you know, the love life and the traditional means of contraception and all sorts of stuff, which, you know, yeah. marginally you would have said, okay, when they were 
doing their their leaving cert, they would be 18 years old, they really ought to know about. And they would have been very, very interested. You take all that kind of thing out of it, um, you know, and then you're left with a situation where, yeah, sure, this is about these people living lives we don't know anything about. And we're being told we have to know about this. Yeah. Why do we have to know about it? Because it's Irish and because it came from the Holy Land, you know, one yeah. of the islands. And it put, it put people off. It's horrific. And also, of course... I mean, it took a long time as well to 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 uh, uh, create this awareness that 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 state and and church should be divided in order to well, to it's, it's, healthy, it it you know? still doesn't exist. I mean, yeah. we, we I say we. Sorry, I, I'm a member of People Before Profit, which is a political party. We formed it in 2005, and I mean, our policy is that church and state should be separated clearly, and that the education system should not be in the hands of the Catholic Church. No, not at all. And, I mean. <laughs> and But that is not the general opinion. I mean, I think it's increasingly the opinion. And But this state, because of the way it formed historically and because of, of the role given to the Catholic Church, it probably, given credit where credit's due, the, the educational level in Ireland, certainly in the early days of the state, would have been abominable without the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church had money and had land. But the trouble is it had a point of view and that point of view it it has you know basically continued to indoctrinate the children of ireland with now i personally i'm not particularly religious well that's not true I, maybe i'm a religious person in some ways yeah. but i i don't be i don't adhere to any of the 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 um organized religions uh, have but, you ever but, been in a church But, but you mean physically or yeah. otherwise? Physically. Oh yeah, no. I'm, I was christened into the into the Church of England, and when in the days when we had um, we had a a, a a Church of Ireland rector in Skibbereen yeah. who was enthusiastic about coming out to the islands. I mean, we we have. I say this for the island, and I, I hope I haven't offended anybody who happens to listen to this on the island. But I mean, we we had a very ecumenical attitude to religion on this island, yeah. and have historically had it really certainly from the 20th century onwards because we we those of us who weren't catholics came to a decision that if the the rector of the church of ireland wanted yeah. to come out to to cape clear yeah. to do a church of ireland service we would all become church of ireland for the day <laughs> and that that at the time gave us probably a congregation of about 10 or 12 there's probably less than that now and very rapidly mm. um we we developed a catholic supporters club so, you know, I, I remember one Christmas, yeah. we, we actually had more Catholics yeah. um, actually in the, because it was it was also a party as well. Yeah. You know, after, after the service, it was a party. And we actually had more Catholics at it than not. And like when, when my my older son was christened, yeah. um, we we actually borrowed the Catholic church. And it, it's a, it's an interesting question, but I mean, um, you know, we, we had a, a christening with... Um, church violent rector and the priest at the time the yeah. catholic priest at the time yeah. okay so you you could argue about whether or not um you know he was apparently there was some discussion at the time about whether if you um doubly bless holy water does it is it like maths you know like does, yeah, does yeah. It, like, is it additive or does one cancel the other but anyway they, they resolved the the, the the religious difficulty we didn't have to worry about that yeah. but but no and even there's a there's a story which i assume is true because I've heard it from several sources, but if you go back to, it was the, I think it was just after the Second World War, yeah. 
and there was a there was a um, a Protestant family on the island, and the last of the 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 siblings died. Yeah. And he said uh, he would be damned before he would convert to Catholicism, just to so as to get buried, um, you know, with with religious rites and whatever else. And yeah. if he needed to, he'd go to heaven on his own. Mm. And anyway, the the priest who was here at the time and the uh, person who was involved with with keeping the graveyard up and so on. Yeah decided that this was awful and the people of Cape Clear, the community here, decided this was awful. Mm. And at the time, of course, it was a sin for Catholics to go onto Protestant land so they couldn't go into the graveyard. So the priest and the person who, who tended to help families, normally the family here would dig the grave yeah. and other people would help if mm. necessary. We don't we don't have an official paid council grave diggers. Um, but the, as the story goes, and I presume it's true, that what happened was the community gathered around the outside of the graveyard and the priest and the person who used to help in with the graveyard yeah. actually physically buried the person, you know, kind of put him in the ground. <laughs> and then the whole of the community said, you know, a, a couple of decades of the rosary from outside the graveyard yeah. on the principle that, you know, they didn't want to offend his, his susceptibility. They didn't want to commit sin, yeah. but they were damned if a member of CAPE was you know, going to go to heaven or otherwise on his own. That that has always been, as far as I can see, except possibly not way back in the 19th century when you had colonial um, missionaries effectively here taking advantage of the famine to to try and get official conversions. Uh, But I mean, other other than that, certainly since that, I mean, Cape is a very strong community and I I can't speak for new families that have come in recent times, but certainly for us. so, so, So Dan, okay. We're still there. There, we we at ninety seven seventy three, and you came a couple of times over here. So and and then your decision came at at in, in the eighties. You came over here for good. When was Mo- it? Moved in in nineteen seventy nine. Nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. So what? I mean, it was. It must be a strong decision because because you used you still had your job in 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 England and was very very well paid and 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 everything. Oh so, yeah, I'd I'd have been a much richer person <laughs> if I'd stayed teaching. And I mean, there were people who I I worked with when I was teaching who said to me, "Well, I mean, why don't you just carry on teaching? Because I mean, like you could retire. I think in those days we could we could have retired at fifty four or fifty five. Yeah. And I said because of the time I'm fifty four or fifty five, if I haven't got the farm running. I'm not going to be physically capable. Yeah. Do you know, I'm I'm going to be on the slide down, not on the way up. And I mean, anybody who's thinking to so start the So how old farm, are you now? I'm 72 now. All right. Okay. And I'm falling to pieces. And, you know, my ability to, that this is why I need an apprentice, because there are things I can't do anymore. And I work with volunteers, like my friend Andy here, a, a lot of the time. But there are limits to how much, and there's, you can ask volunteers to do. And also on top of that, it's a question of how long they can stay because they all have lives. They come to learn, sure. they go away again, you know. Yeah. And even even pre-virus, um, the the availability of volunteers was dropping because the number of hosts, which is a good thing, but the number of hosts was rising in Ireland. Yeah. So that the balance between hosts and volunteers has, has swung the way that, you know, there aren't really enough volunteers to go around. Um, so guys, so so, so Ed, Ed needs urgently a volunteer. We, we we mentioned that here in this episode again as well. Would be great if you if you want to stay uh, long term. There are options and possibilities uh, that 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 mm. you can do. That it's a lovely But place. What what I didn't say when we were talking about that before in the second part, yeah, um, was was what brought me here 
really. Yeah. Um, well, apart from the fact that I like the place, and I'm, I'm interested in Irish music and, yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but the thing that brought me here was goats because the land, I was really lucky and yeah. I, I didn't understand, and I'm not going to go into it, yeah. but I didn't understand why the family I was buying from was selling so cheap. Now, house and land prices, obviously, that long ago were, were very, very cheap compared to what anybody would think now. Yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. But even at that, I, this land was going very cheap and it was ideal goat land. Yeah. And I actually looked at the wrong house. The house I looked at, yeah. I, I thought I was going to look at, yeah. had five acres. Right. And I thought I was going to buy a holiday house to save me having to, to rent somewhere every time. Yeah. And, you know, ha keep a good garden and probably sell or rent the, the rest of the land to somebody else. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I looked at the wrong house um, because the, the estate agent had put in the, the on the ad key with Mr. O'Driscoll, right? Yeah. And so I went to the pub. I mean, like two-thirds of the population, at least here at the time, were called O'Driscoll. So I went to Paddy Burke's pub, which was an internationally famous pub. Great man was Paddy, and sadly, yeah. you know, he's been dead a long time now. We used to have great sessions in there. Anyway, I won't get sidetracked into that. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, so I went to Paddy's and I said, which, which which Mr. O'Driscoll is selling a house? And he sent me up here yeah. to this house. And sure enough, you know, Donald O'Driscoll was selling this house and his brother was here at the time selling it for him. And, um, you know, we looked at the house and, okay, it's a grand house. Yeah. And, and do you want to see the land? Yes. And off we went. And I was no expert on land at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, it just kept going on. Yeah. And I said, surely to God, this is more than five acres. Yeah. And he said, yes, it's 27. Yeah. And it was the same price yeah. as, as the five acres. Yeah. And suddenly it became, I'm going to buy a holiday house with too much land. Yeah. Um, I, too, I could actually farm goats. And I've been passionately interested in goats. Yeah. Since, well, initially, the first goat I ever met, I would have been seven or eight years old. Okay. And I just fell in love with the animal. And then wow. when I was 16, I met somebody who was keeping goats and I learned more about goats then and I started reading up about goats and they're a very de neglected animal and especially they're, they're also ne I say neglected they're neglected in Western Europe at this point in history yeah um, almost certainly goats next to dogs were the, the first animals we domesticated okay you, if you look at most of the, the books they'll tell you sheep yeah. were domesticated yeah Old sheep and old goats, I would challenge anybody to tell the difference in, in, in a skeleton, in, in an archaeological dig, because the plain fact of the matter is that, and, and actually the behavior, I have a friend east on the island here who has um, soe cross sheep, and soe sheep, which are one of the old descendants of the old breeds, the European breeds yeah. that the Vikings took yeah. around with them, yeah. behave very similar to goats, not quite the same. And the great thing about those animals, the, the old breeds of sheep and, and goats, is that for a start, they eat a much wider range of range of things. I mean, one of the best things you can feed to a goat is, is gorse. They love gorse. They mm. love brambles, right? Mm. Um, the other thing about them is they will follow you. They're, they're, they're sociable, yeah, social I, animals. I, they're hierarchical. I, I saw that this morning, yeah. And, and like dogs, if you like, they're pack animals. Yeah. And so we fit into that. We have a similar kind of social order, especially in the days that we travelled in small groups. So you could, you know, once you had domesticated dogs, you didn't need to drive your goats in front of you. Yeah. You could literally call your goats. <laughs> and if the odd goat was missing, Spring. you could Spring. send the goat to find them. You could send the dog <laughs> to find them. But, you know, and the other thing about goats... Now, now you have trackers, no? Well, yes, now now we use a GPS tracker. But... Yeah. <laughs> but but, uh, you know, what, what a lot of people find peculiar about goats is their eyes, yeah. okay? 
and that's one of their amazing features because as i was talking earlier and the other part about dogs sense of smell that that mm. is useful to work with an animal that has a sense that's better yeah. than yours goats have a, a a pupil in their eyes that they can they can voluntarily um change the shape of so they they can get a panoramic view and they can also shut the thing down so they can look at things in detail close to wow and amazing and it means that they they ha have a fantastic what goats see is movement they're very good at seeing movement and if you think if you try and think yourself back into what it must have been like in the days when we as a useless prey animal were yeah. wandering around thing if we had allies with a fantastic sense of smell and a damn good set of teeth yeah. i.e the dogs and we had other allies that that you know basically could turn stuff we couldn't eat into stuff we could eat i.e milk and meat yeah. and had ability great ability to see movement so they they would startle and warn us if there was something creeping up on us you know w no wonder we did well you know we had two allies and we we should still have those allies yeah and that's what i've it's the only reason i've been able to do what i've been doing i've had those two allies for the past 42 years or well, 46 years. Is there a special literature about, about this? I mean, I would be interested in it, actually. Not in, I'd say, exactly in that form, because this, um, yes, you can read about goats. Yes, you can read about dogs. But yeah. um, it it's diff would be difficult to find that synthesis. I've never seen that written down, but then never looked for it, really. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's, it just it comes from living with them in common sense. I mean, there's plenty of history that you can look at that sure, virtually sure. proves, you know, we, we lived as hunter-gatherers for a long time. Yeah. Um, and then we became farmers and so on. But um, And, I mean, goats on a world scale, goats, there's more goat meat eaten than there is beef. Um, but the reason the cow dominated the, the Western Europe, essentially, in the end, was because we did a lot of tillage. And the cow was a, a useful um, transport animal and, and, and means of, of power. Um, you could plough the field with a cow. You could pull a cart with a cow. Um, goats wouldn't be so good at that, you know. And if you want to see a culture where, uh, you know, if if you look at South America, yeah. now that not so much goats, but um, you're talking llamas and that kind of thing, that culture developed very differently. Had different land, um, so it it wasn't so into plowing, but they they had small animals. And you know what what followed the cows in in Western Europe was the horses. Once people got the idea, horses were faster, stronger, forward. But they were specialists. You know, the, the Mongolia still milks horses on a regular basis. So yeah. I gathered us Kyrgyzstan because I was talking to somebody from Kyrgyzstan All right. the other week yeah. who came to see me. Um, but he's essentially, um, mostly horses were, were specialized as, as power units, okay? In in South American cultures, especially the, 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 the high-altitude cultures, llamas were the thing. Yeah. And they, they can only carry a certain weight. They're yeah. bigger than goats, but there's yeah. only a limit to what they can carry. But they were suited to the kind of land. So when you, you had the Spanish came along with horses and weapons, you know, no wonder they wiped out fantastically, yeah. you know, well-developed civilizations because they brought new technologies. Yeah. And in Western Europe, the cow was great because the cow was multi-purpose. It could do the, the, the physical work, but it could also provide the milk. And these days, you know, there's more interest in all breeds. Um, in Ireland, you'd find much more interest in all breeds mm. than there were. And actually, uh, if you if you're thinking of coming to Cape Clear, which I hope everybody who listens to this is, yeah, um, there's a farm. The farm that's immediately south of me has um, Kerry cattle, and Kerry cattle were 
effectively the one of the old breeds that was a household breed um, that was you know produced milk, high solids milk, so you could make yogurt, cheese, whatever. Though on the whole, the and Irish you make, you, you're going to do it as well. Was it, was your goat milk? No? Oh, we make we make we do we we standardly we make ice cream and we make cheese and we sell those and, and burgers as well. So you get that's what we do with the surplus kids, but don't don't tell the mothers. <laughs> I mean, we have a sign here: ice cream, cheese, and sausages, courses by arrangements. Visitors welcomes. I can't keep it up now because because this this uh, setting here uh, doesn't allow the. But and yeah, so so if you come over here in between us, so, so so this is the original sign. Can you can can you see it? Hang on, have a look. Uh, have a look. All right. Thank you very much. That's all right. I, I don't know whether you would have recorded the sound, but my assistant is arriving, my cat. Who is, <laughs> uh, I presume it's Trotsky, who is, so, <coughs> is named after the yeah. Russian revolutionary. <coughs> so we 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 are. It's great. Thank you very much. I mean, we're almost at the end, and we are actually happy that 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 we that we could make it without too much rain and uh, without getting too wet. Um, at least we got a little. I think uh, in these three episodes, uh, a little idea of your life and uh, what brought you over here. That's very nice and. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, if anybody is interested in, in coming to visit or whatever, there's usually tea. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I measure problems by the number of teapots. So if anybody <laughs> wants to come and chat about things or whatever, if you want to learn about goats, do that soon. But yeah, yeah. hopefully, I, I heard a thing on the radio the other day that the, the average expectation of life in Ireland for a male is 82 and a half. So I've got about 10 years if I live the average length of time, as long as I don't crack up suddenly. So, you know, yeah, if you're coming, so come soon. It would be great. Uh, thank you very much. And I mean, uh, so, so you, ha you have a song for us, no? Yes, I, I could have lots. Yeah. <laughs> But we haven't got time. <coughs> um, we have time for one song for sure. <coughs> yeah. Well, perhaps perhaps what I ought to do is, 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 um, is I'll, I'll sing you a song that was um, just because it, I, I approve of the politics and it was just to prove I'm, I'm not that anti-religious. It was written by a priest who actually served as a priest on the island here um, at the time of the, the land wars and the land league. And he wrote this song. <clears throat> and I didn't realize that I learned this song in the northeast of England from somebody from the very far northeast of England. And I, I didn't know Cape Clear existed. And I learned this song and I came here and I sang the song here. And people kept saying to me, that's a great song. The old people had that song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. I now know why. But anyway, here we go. <clears throat> At Hopper. Mm -hmm. One evening of late into Bandon I strayed When bound for Clonakilty I was making me way At Banascarty some time I delayed To wet me or whistle with porter Now I hadn't but travelled one mile on that road When I heard a dispute in the farmer's abode twixt the son of the landlord, the ill-looking toad, and the wife 
of that bull-tenant farmer. Oh, you cattle the bull-tenant's wife, she's replied, you're as bad as your daddy on the other side, but the National Land League will pull down your pride, for we're able to bear any storm. And our branches extend through the country and town, protecting the tenants, their houses and ground, and the rent we owe, why we'll pay you one pound, if you'll clear our receipts by the morning. When he's heard of the land league, then his lips they've turned pale, crying what good could they do but be clapped up in jail, the rent you owe, you must pay by next gale, advance nay will give you no quarter. For your husband was drinking in town last night, born in an accursing for the bull tenant's rights, but the month of October will put you to flight, so just join your friends or the water. "'Twas then he passed by the bush where I lay, "'I and as he passed by me I have heard him to say, "'Oh, I wish to me, God, I was ten miles away "'from the wife of this bull-ten and farmer. "'Then she shouted lay, and I answered halloo, "'and he showed us his back and light lightning he flew, "'crying, God bless the land league and old Ireland too.' And I whistle me tune, Maratoshe. Then I picked up me stick, and I spat on me fist, and up the coach road like a deer I did lick, and I cared not for landlord, nor bailiff, nor old Nick. And I sang like a lark in the morning. <laughs> And the funny thing about that Thank is it's, it's always known as the bull tenant farmer, which tells you something about Irish society because the one person who never appears yeah. is the bull tenant farmer. It's his wife that oh, does no, the work. Oh, no, that's true, yeah. <laughs> okay, on this note, thank you very much for being in my show. It was a pleasure to have you and to talk with you, Ed. That's a pleasure. I enjoyed it. Have a great day and goodbye. Bye. Ciao. This is a listener-supported show. I feel honored if you subscribe to this show. You can follow me non-financial with the following click on one of my Instagram accounts or subscribe the visual version of this podcast on YouTube via the link below. If you like what you hear, be sure to tune in this Sunday for the third part of this Attitude Audio Triptych. If you want to leave a donation for a coffee or a bus ticket, just follow the donation link via the Attitude Podcast account. Eventually, I would like to thank, through this medium, all my members and listeners of the I Love West Cork Artists Network from all over the world. Just to remember myself that without you, this year couldn't and wouldn't happen. You have listened to Artitude. 
West Cork's first art, fashion and design podcast. Artitude, never so close again. Ah! That was too close.